Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Marcus Kauke, who is a tech hypergrowth expert. Marcus, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. Absolute pleasure. Tell me, Marcus, what is it you're currently doing? At the moment, I help companies grow or turn them around. So we do that initially through sales and through their people. And so what we do is we help them stop doing stupid things like free consultancy, wasting their time talking about themselves, their company, their products to people who don't care. More more often than not, uh, a visit from a salesperson is like a stranger showing photos of their ugly babies. Um, And they, they insist on boring people to death about why they think that you should buy from them. Um, people buy for their reasons, not yours. And if you don't understand them and the outcome that they want, then you're missing the mark, which explains why seven out of eight first meetings never result in a second meeting. It's criminal when you consider the amount of money, time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears that's gone to get you to in front of one person. And you blow seven out of eight of those. That's, that's you know a criminal offense in my book. And what you're saying sounds so straightforward. Why is it not common practice? I have a poster on my office wall uh, from my third favorite website, despair.com. And uh, it has a picture of the Pamplona bull run. Uh, and the, the um, caption reads, tradition, just because you've always done it that way, doesn't mean it's not incredibly stupid. And I think more often than not, we're habituated into doing things in a certain way. You know, what worked in the 1950s is still being practiced today. And it never really worked brilliantly then, but there was nothing better. And so most salespeople show up and throw up, quote, and hope, sell and run. And they uh, turn up and then they give a presentation about their company and about their products. And then they expect some questions and objections and they handle all of those and once they've handled them, they get asked for a proposal or a quote, and they think that's selling. It's anything but. At best, people will buy in spite of you doing that, not because of it. What, what people really need, all, all human beings, my, one of my mentors, Mark Galston, is the world-leading expert and uh, teacher in empathic listening. And he says, all human beings want to be heard, to feel felt, and to be understood. And that's what a salesperson's job is. It's to go in there and understand. And I I have never once listened my way out of a sale. I've talked my way out of a fair number. Um, But your job is to understand and to identify the answer to this question. Can I help? If I can't, I should get out. If I can, I then have to ask myself the next question, which is, am I the best person to help? I would rather refer a competitor than take on business where my prospect or my customer will be served less well by me than by them. 
And how do you determine that? Partly down to listening and asking the right kind of questions, because if what they're looking for isn't something you do well or um, it's not really core to what you do, then it's a fatal error uh, to take them on as a client, even if you could. Um, you know, it, I, I hear people say, well, you know, you're in it for salespeople are all about being in it for the money. Actually, they're not. I was a headhunter for 10 years for salespeople, and money normally came sixth in the hierarchy on average. The number one thing that they were looking for, much like other people, is being appreciated. The number one reason why people leave their job is they don't feel appreciated. They don't feel appreciated by their boss or by the company or the people they work with or their customers. That's the number one reason, over 80% of the time. So who are you predominantly helping at the moment in your, with your work? My primary focus is technology companies. I, I've, I've worked across 500 different segments of the market, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But my uh, primary focus is 10 to $50 million uh, tech companies that are looking to scale very aggressively, so 200% per annum growth plus. And they don't want to lose control. They don't want to recruit an army of mediocre and bad salespeople, which is often what happens. And they don't want to squander a small fortune, you know, the GDP of a developing country, on uh, bad marketing and advertising. And the other thing that we protect them from is having to go to investors for oxygen to keep the business afloat. Because actually selling is a remarkably simple process. What it involves is finding people who have problems you can fix and having them feel understood so that they feel confident that you can help them. And if there is that good match there, then I think you have a duty, an obligation, a moral obligation to sell to them. If there isn't that match, you have a moral obligation not to. And sales is quite binary in that respect. But a lot of people overcomplicate it. They uh, complicate it with complex tactics. Um, they uh, try and do too much. They insist on saying too much. You sell your way in by listening and asking questions. And you talk your way out of sales by talking about you, your uh, company, your products, your services, uh, the features and benefits. Uh, I'll you know, give the audience a, a really simple exercise. Um, write down the top three benefits that you sell today. Now, bad news, you've been fired. The good news is you've been hired by a competitor. Now write down the top three benefits you would sell if you were with them. Odds are at least two or all three of them are the same. So you cannot differentiate by sounding the same as everybody else. So what's the difference? Well, your prospects all come from a different place with different aspirations, different motivation. Their why is different. And until you can uncover their reason why, you have no business taking the conversation any further. And your job is to be a good diagnostician. And there's a, a wonderful um, adaptation of um, the Hippocratic Oath, uh, which is prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. And so often salespeople go in and prescribe a solution without having done any diagnosis. 
Well, as, as a manager, the number of times I've heard salespeople come out of a meeting and say, well, why do they need our help? Uh, I don't know. Well, that was your job. Why have you not gone and found out why they need our help? Well, I did the pitch. No one wants to hear your pitch. So the people that come to you and you're working with you right now, how are they, how are they surviving through COVID? Actually, really well. You know, I'm delighted to say that they're all thriving. I haven't had a single customer take a backward step. Um, I've got um, clients who are at 140 to 200% of target. I've got a few outliers that are up to 3,000%. And um, what, what's been really fascinating is just how much control they have over their own lives and their futures and the, uh, the stability of their business because we put in place the right systems and processes well before COVID hit. What COVID did, and this is really important for people to understand, COVID did not create problems in your business. It uncovered them. What, what it did was it held up the ugly mirror to people whose sales pipeline was weak or empty or inconsistent. It um, held up, uh, it shone the light on the flaws within your management, within your strategy. And now you're paying that price. But actually turning sales and turning businesses around is really that complex. What, what's required is a good deal of hard thinking. Uh, you need good systems. You need a strategy. You need to have the right structure. Uh, you need to have the right people and the right partnerships. And once you've got those things in place, uh, and they're all underpinned with the reason why you're in business. Who are you there to serve? What, why is it they need or want your help? Um, what is it that they are trying to achieve? Then you can start to uh, align yourself with uh, answers to these questions. What is it that we do? Why do we do it? And why do they want it? But what I've found is that very often that uh, management and leadership lacks vision or it's blurred, it's out of focus. And what I do right up front is help companies get very clear about where they want to go, why they want to get there, and how they're going to get there. So that we can establish you know, how big do they want to get, how soon, and most importantly, how committed are they to achieving it? Because it's all uh, very well being able to do it. But if you're not willing, it's not going to make any difference. And historically, what have been the biggest issues with people that are coming to you? I'm going to answer this question slightly obtusely because the problems they bring you are never the real problem. What they do is they bring you a symptom or they bring you nirvana. Yeah, we want to 10x our business in uh, three years. Um, great. Okay, how are you going to get there? Um, and the other thing they do is they bring you this sort of litany of the usual suspects, like we're not meeting enough prospects, we're not closing enough, we're discounting too much, uh, we keep hiring the wrong people, <clears throat> um, that uh, we are doing free consultancy, uh, we're operating in the crowd of competitive landscape and we struggle to differentiate. Well, everybody comes with those kind of problems, but those aren't the real problems. More often than not, it's down to not really understanding what it is you do. Uh, I was interviewing uh, Mark Schaefer, who's written a fabulous book called Marketing Revolution, and another one called No. 
And uh, he poses this two-word question to his prospects. Finish this sentence, only we. Now, more often than not, most organizations and most executives don't answer in concept. So when you have multiple different answers, that suggests that they don't really have a marketing strategy. They don't have clarity, a vision, clarity of purpose. And if you can't articulate that, then you have a major problem because that will filter down through the organization. And ambiguity at the top leads to politics at the bottom. And when you end up with a politically charged organization, the customer suffers. And that then creates problems for your longevity and your reputation. And do they sort of see that once you explain it to them or are they resistant? Oh, there's always resistance. But, you know, um, Woodrow Wilson said it better than me. If you want to uh, make enemies, recommend change. Um, they, they, they all say they want to change. But one of the things that I've learned that I've had to learn to do is I have to raise objections early before they do. So I always open with something along the line, you know, two minutes in, I'll say, Amy, uh, I'm okay for you to say no to me. If you don't think I'm a, a good fit for you, then can you please say so? And we get agreement. And equally, if I don't think I can help you or what you're looking for isn't what I do well, would you be okay telling me no thanks? Yeah. And if I don't think I can help you, I'll tell you I'm the wrong person. I'll hold up my hands and I'll suggest someone else, even a competitor. Is that okay? And then we'll carry on talking. About two minutes later, I'll say, Amy, a moment ago I said it was okay for you to say no to me. Let me tell you the two or three most common reasons why people won't uh, work with me. The first is I'm eye-wateringly, sphincter-poppingly expensive. Whatever amount of money you've set aside for training, it's not even going to cover the deposit. Is that a reason for us to end the conversation? Because you definitely don't ever want to buy training from a cheap sales trainer. Imagine the message that sends to your salespeople about being cheap and about discounting. Okay. And the stuff that we do is built in over time. So we do it over months and months. Um, and, you know, we, we create lifetime behavioral change that way. So the first thing I'll do is I'll raise the bomb about price. And the second thing is I'll tell people, you know, working with me is rarely a pleasant experience. No one comes to me for hugs and cuddles. They come to me because they're serious as a heart attack about fixing their problems. They're ambitious and they want to grow. Um, now, are you okay being challenged? Are you okay that when you're doing something stupid, it's my job to hold up the ugly mirror and tell you, Amy, that's really stupid, stop it. And most of them will say yes. And I then follow on with, so tell me, when was the last time you took direction from anyone? Because that's really telling. Because if they haven't taken direction, that's a big red flag for me. They've only been reporting to God and the CEO for a long time. Um, and so the whole idea of being held to account, someone challenging their thinking um, and telling them when they're being a monster. Because often people who have, who've 
uh, built these businesses, uh, they don't do it out of um, badness, but they do it out of frustration because what they've never really done, is that they, they've tended to build a sort of command and control type of approach, which means that they're a bottleneck, which means that um, people are afraid to challenge them. And it's my job to challenge. It's my job to make them feel uncomfortable uh, with their status quo and the, uh, how they've got to where they are. Because so often what you'll find is that they'll have created something, but it's not quite what they wanted. And they're always looking over their shoulder saying, where is everyone? Keep up. But part of the reason that people aren't keeping up is they disempower them because they haven't found people who are aligned in values. They haven't given them permission to fail. They punish failure, which means they stifle risk-taking. They stifle innovation. And you know, often they, they're either early on or at the tail end of their career. So they're either uh, scaling something up and it's the first time, uh, or they've been at it 20, 30 years, and they're looking at the sort of twilight years of their career, and they're thinking, I want to get out, but I can't, because everything revolves around me. And any business that revolves around one individual isn't a business. At best, it's a practice, and it's massively at risk. So I help them get prepared to exit, and either for a trade sale or to go to uh, go public and how and why is it important for you to be working with these people they're really interesting they're fascinating people and they create employment they uh innovate they create uh fabulous companies i i, I can't think of a day gone by in the last 17 years where i've been remotely bored uh, you know i was saying to you in the preamble to this you know on monday at four o'clock i was wide awake and I had to force myself to lie in bed for another hour and a half to a more reasonable hour of half past five because I couldn't wait to get started. It's, it's crazy. It's, you know, it, it feels like an obsession, and it is. I was told I had an obsessive personality a while back. Um, but I, I love seeing people bloom, and I love seeing people meet their full potential. And I love seeing helping um, other people help other people. Yeah, the, the, the generational ripple effect of working with a leader and then um, that spreading out into their executive team, their management team, and then into their sales operation and their engineers and then uh, to their customers and their partners. There's little that's more thrilling than seeing that all come together and coalesce. Uh, where people are completely aligned, they're working towards common purpose. They have, they pr they put their purpose over their profit. And what's really interesting is the uh, level of profitability that these businesses achieve by doing that. I remember working with a an ad agency, and both the founders were fifty six at the time. They um they were hoping. Uh, to be able to exit their business in the next couple of years. The 2008 recession had hit and their exit plans were knocked back 11 years. And they took a 50% pay cut. They lost from, they went down from 30 to 14 people, uh, sorry, 40 to 14 people. Um, and within a year, we had them back up to their old revenue levels. Um, but profits had grown 500%. And they were back up to 30 people. They were acquiring two companies by the end of the year. 
Um, and they, they wanted to stay. They didn't want to leave their business. They were having fun again. And, you know, helping people find that uh, motivation, that energy within themselves is just a joy to watch. Um, I, I've got uh, another client and uh, his daughter was being bullied. And he taught her the principles I taught him. And she managed to have the bully leave the school within two weeks of learning these principles without ever raising her voice, let alone a finger. You know, it, it's blissful. And how does it make you feel to see these people bloom and reach their potential? Oh, it, it's just wonderful. Um, I, I can't wait for you know, when, when they're giving me feedback about what's happened. You know, um, so I'll, I'll give you a great example. We had um, this week a client of mine was working with a large financial institution um, and procurement got involved because, as they often do, it's a six-figure deal. Yeah, it's nothing to be um, sniffed at. And it comes at a critical time in this business's uh, evolution. And uh, procurement um, were, uh, was on the phone. And um, my client said, you know, a couple of reasons why you may not want to work with us. And the first one is we uh, only sell at list price. We never offer discounts. And this guy started waving his arms around on the Zoom call. I said, well, you know, it's all too soon. Why are we talking about that? You know, it's too soon to get into that kind of detail. And his parting shot was, well, no one ever pays list. Um, so my client just laughed and said, well, I'm sorry. It sounds like we shouldn't take this conversation any further. Um, anyway, meanwhile, um, the uh, sponsor had already decided they were going to use this company. Um, and he told procurement to roll his neck in and they bought. And the net result of that is that um, the client is happy. Um, the procurement guy isn't because he gets paid on uh, screwing the price down. Um, but uh, my client walked away with a decent deal uh, with a client that they can be really effective for and deliver long-term value. And this is just the beginning. But you know, even six months ago, he would have rolled over and he would have given a discount and tried to buy the business. And it's just a joy to see them being able to make decent profit. Because if you're making decent profit, then you don't ever have to sell scared. Scared money doesn't sell well. Um, what, what happens is they, you know, they capitulate and they give stuff away that they shouldn't. And that means, you know, if you make 30% profit and you discount by 10%, you have to double the volume of your sale next time at least in order to stand still. Yeah. Now, if you make a 30% profit and you add 10% to your price, you can afford to lose 24% of your business. So there is a real value in learning a strong money concept. Uh, developing a strong self-concept. Now, you will only perform to the level that your self-concept will allow. Now, there's a big difference between your identity, who you are, and your role, what you do. I think that was David Sanders' real stroke of genius, to understanding that uh, and putting that in the context of the sales environment, because then you can operate with equal business stature with your prospect. Uh, you don't put them on a pedestal which means you don't give away your power. You don't feel the pressure. If you've done the right job and you've got a full sales pipeline, you can walk away from any individual deal, which means that you can wait. So um, in this uh, case I was giving you, um, uh, the, the procurement guy was asking questions, well, when's your financial year? 
um, because he wanted to know when, uh, when he could put the squeeze on. But the financial year is December. Now the client needed the, uh, the product now. Um, so it didn't make any difference. Um, and uh, well, you know, at the end of the quarter, um, there are often discounts. No, no discounts. It's just lovely being able to plant your feet and uh, know that it doesn't matter. And also know that you're not going to be punished. If, the, if it ends up with no deal, he won't be punished for it either. In the end, he got the deal. But um, you know, working with management so that they understand this as well. And that way, people can take risks. And if they can take risks, they can innovate and they can really be effective. And you mentioned earlier about holding up the mirror and making them very uncomfortable. What is it they see when you hold up the mirror? Uh, more often than not, they see the person that they wanted to be uh, falling short um, because they want to be a good manager. They want to be a good leader. They want to be a good salesperson. They want to serve other people, but they're afraid. And um, that fear is more often than not just the voice in their head catastrophizing. There's a lovely book called Essentialism, uh, and the subtitle of which is 47 Ways That You um, uh, Make Yourself Miserable But Probably Don't Know It. And um, very often what we do is um, we run this narrative and this internal dialogue that says, you're not good enough, you ought to, you should, you must, you have to. Um, you're such a disappointment. You always do this. Yeah. Um, and if you don't understand that who you are is enough, then what happens is you allow that narrative to start chipping away at you. Um, and so you start to have a lower opinion of yourself. Now, if you can't like and love yourself, why would anybody else? And so as a leader, as a manager, that piece of your humanity is really important because it allows you to be authentically yourself. And that whole piece around authenticity is so important in your sales, in your marketing, in your management, in your everything that you do. If you aren't being true to yourself, then you're being false. Who wants to deal with a fraud? Least of all you. So how do you help them get over the, the limiting beliefs and their self-sabotaging? Often it's about making them aware of how they're presenting themselves to the world and helping them become aware of that internal dialogue, that noise in their head. Yeah, sometimes it's not even their voice. It can be one of their critical parents. Yeah. And so if there's this voice in your ear going, you're such a disappointment, you've ruined the whole day. Sorry, I'm just working the dog up. Um, and you know, you, you, you've ruined the whole day and you start feeling this um, uh, pressure that doesn't need to exist there. You, you, this narrative that you run that people are gonna be horrible to you if you cold call them or that you're interrupting. A lot of this is based on scripting. Yeah, and a lot of people have got really terrible scripts. Uh, money is the root to all evil. It's not. It's the love of money is. Um, money doesn't grow on trees. It absolutely does. Referral trees. If you learn to get really good at generating referrals, then uh, this, this uh, organic um, pipeline builds. Um, you, 
you have a self-concept which says that you are never less than or more than your prospect's equal. If you don't go in with uh, the belief that you have equal business stature with your prospect, then you'll give away your power. So helping them recognize that narrative and recognize that scripting and those beliefs and then offer them better alternatives. Ask them questions more often than not. I mean, most of what I do actually is um, very Socratic. So you ask questions and have people come to their own conclusion. And this is really important because they never argue with their own data. That's why most salespeople are terrible. And 98% of people with sales on their job title are order takers or zookeepers. They're not salespeople. Um, And the, the reason is that selling is about helping other people solve their problems, but you get your fees on your terms and both sides walk away happy and satisfied eventually. Um, but very few salespeople have a, a spine. If they do, it's made out of jelly, it's not steel. And um, because they don't believe they have a right to play. They think they're gonna get found out. Um, they are too brittle to be vulnerable. And one of the most important lessons I teach my clients is something called the winner's triangle. And the winner's triangle describes what well-adjusted people do versus the drama triangle, which is what most people do. The drama triangle is made up of a triangle on its um, sharp point at the bottom. And you have the victim voice. Why me? It's so unfair. This always happens in their favorite refrain, save me. So they attract two types of people, persecutors and rescuers. Persecutors have a jabby index finger. You piece of, you always, you never, you're such a, a capital pronoun you and stabby index finger in your face or chest. And then you have a rescuer who is um, who helps without boundaries, without permission. Oh, let me show you how to do that. And they're often micromanagers or they're molly coddling and they're permissive. So they allow bad behavior and they tolerate it without confronting it. And Ego thrives on drama. When people recognize that in their lives, and when they recognize themselves taking any one of the three positions of victim, persecutor, or rescuer, you can offer better alternative. My favorite philosopher, Bruce Lee, was asked what's the best way to avoid a punch, and he said, be somewhere else. And the somewhere else is the winner's triangle. And the winner's triangle is, instead of being a victim, you're vulnerable. Instead of being a persecutor, you're nurturing and assertive, uh, nurturing and empathic. Uh, sorry, instead of being a rescuer. Um, and instead of being uh, a persecutor, you are assertive. So I may be running late for a meeting. And if I'm operating from the drama triangle, I'll say something like, Amy, it's not my fault, bloody traffic, I'm, I'm doing my best. Yeah. There, I'm not taking any responsibility. I'm blaming extrinsic factors. If I'm operating from the winner's triangle, then it goes something like, Amy, I'm so sorry. I hope you can forgive me. I'm running about 15 minutes late and uh, it's entirely my fault. I misjudged the traffic and I left late. I know that you hate it when people are late. Would you like me to turn around and I'll talk this up to experience and you can recover the, the, the hour? Yeah. Now, one is attractive and grown up and adult and authentic, and the other one is just weaselly, um, and it's full of um, excuses. It's full of avoidance behavior. 
And if you can operate from that winner's triangle, you have incredible power. And teaching people that they have the right to operate from there is really important. And you know, teaching them that they have rights. And you know, one of my favorite questions of all salespeople is, what are your rights as a salesperson? Oh, I don't know. We don't have any rights. Of course you do. You have the right to speak to people in your target market. You have the right to play your trade. You have the right to ask tough and challenging questions and get answers to the questions that you ask. You have the right to charge what you're worth. But most salespeople just give away their power. And they don't know any better. It's not their fault. Um, but uh, until people have been made aware of it, what you find is that they spend so much of their time getting in their own way, self-sabotaging. And what I'm hearing in your response is a huge amount of study of human behavior, of philosophy, of psychology, and understanding who we are at the core. I mean, there's, there's sort of stoic references in there and NLP references in there. How much of being a coach is essential in sales? Uh, I, I think coaching is one of the most important skills in uh, any form of selling or management. Um, mm. And uh Coaching is a, it's all about having other people solve the problem for themselves. And in fact, that's exactly what we teach in sales. You know, if, if you can have the prospect do the presentation, handle their own objections and close themselves, then you don't really have to do a lot of work. Um, I, I, I'm mindful of um, Carl von Clausewitz, uh, who wrote a book called On War. And uh, it's like the military Bible for um, Sandhurst and West Point. And he used to recruit Prussian officers for high intelligence and laziness. Um, so minimum effort, minimum loss of life. And I think you should do the same in sales and in management. You should be intelligently lazy. And why do you think that using that reference of intelligently lazy works? Because... It's efficient, it's elegant. Um, most people complicate things. I, I think a good business, a good small business is simple, cash flow positive and debt free. And if you follow those three tenets and your emphasis is on knowing who your customer is. So you have a total addressable market and then you have a tiny group in the middle who are your ideal customer and you just focus on finding and engaging with them and helping them solve the problems that you are best qualified to solve, then you don't waste a whole heap of effort chasing stuff you could, could but shouldn't win or will never win. You serve people really well um, because you understand them. It's, it's, those are the people that you were put on the planet to serve. And your business was set up to serve them. Um, and you don't overcomplicate it. Life is way too short, too short uh, to be messed up by you complicating it because you're not bright enough to get out of your own way. It, and if, if you focus on just who you should be serving, then more often than not, you end up with a very strong pipeline and a good reputation and a lot of inbound business uh, off the back of it. Um, but if you don't know who your customer is and you're trying to please everyone, you end up pleasing no one. You get a bad reputation 
you're constantly being put under pressure to develop your product in ways that it shouldn't. And it's incredibly frustrating. You know, just get good at something. Don't try and be um, average at everything. And what, what I'm seeing now is the more people niche and the tighter they define their niche, the faster they grow. And that's the, the biggest decision that most people have to make is, is how to niche down and become more laser focused. Yeah, letting go of all that stuff, that, um, you, all, all that potential is really difficult, um, but you have to refine and focus. And the t- more tightly you focus, the more tightly you concentrate uh, your effort on. Um, and it's, you know, it's like in war. You know, if you attack on a wide front, you're going to have someone break through your lines. Uh, you've got, if you attack on a narrow front, then you can uh, penetrate deeply um, and you can have a huge impact. And I think um, part of the problem is, it, you know, it comes back to attachment. You know, the Buddha said it uh, rather well, you know, that uh, attachment is the root to all misery. And the, the problem is, if you're trying to please everybody, and often the attachment is you're a people pleaser. Learning how to say no matters more than uh, what, what you say no to mean, uh, matters more than what you say yes to, more often than not. And the problem is that so often uh, people say yes to everything and try and please everyone. And they spread themselves so thin. And net result of that is that they disappoint. Then they're just mediocre, average. Um, and then you're a commodity. But if you're a, re- if you're a niche specialist, then you can command a high price, you can work on your terms, and you can deliver your best work. That's a huge asset. And why is it important to deliver your best work? Um, well, certainly for me, having uh, high standards in terms of the work that I do, and it... It's a, it's a source of incredible satisfaction, but I would caveat that with you are never the finished article. And for me, I'm always competing with who I was yesterday. I don't really compete with anybody else. I can't control that, but I can get better today over yesterday and tomorrow I'll be better than I am today and raising my game constantly. I mean, I used to get upset when people stole my stuff off, um, you know, my blog posts and all of that. Um, And I ended up in spats and fights until I realized, actually, it was quite flattering. Um, And it forces me to stay um, ahead of the pack. And there isn't a day go uh, by where people really generously contact me and say, you know, you're a master at your craft. I don't see myself that way, but you know, to other people, they, they do. And it gives me the impetus to improve because I can't carry, I can't stay where I was. Um, if I do, others will catch up. And I like being ahead. And I, but I don't do it to win. I do it because the, the, it's the, uh, the thrill of the journey, the chase. The, the kill itself in a sale isn't actually ever that satisfying nowadays. I've got, I've got a 96% close rate. Um, I, I'm not really interested in that. What I am interested in is being better every single time I sell. So what I'm always striving for is the next level of excellence. Um, and that's, that's thrilling. 
And I think that's where I'm coming from with the best work. It's, it's hard. You, you mentioned earlier about being good enough when you're sort of holding the mirror up to people. And it is hard because you always want to improve. You always want, you're never quite good enough. You always want to be improving and learning and, and growing. Maybe with you and I, that, that's the case. There are a lot of people who are perfectly happy to settle, but they're not my customer. They're not my target market. Um, the, the people that I work with are ambitious they are intellectually humble enough to take direction and advice. And I've got six coaches. And, you know, I'm so far from perfect, you would not believe. Um, and I've got coaches for video and voice. I have a, a business coach. I have a personal coach. Um, I have uh, people who help me with my social media um, and with my copy and so on so that they can stretch me. Because the, the minute you settle, there, there's a lovely old proverb which is if you're green, you grow, if you're ripe, you rot. And there's an awful lot of rotten fruit out there. I, d I don't want to be one of them. I'm not judging them, but I just don't want to be one of them. So what's next for, for you, Marcus? I'm working on a really exciting project at the moment. I can't give uh, much detail, um, but I want to revolutionise the way um, tech companies um, win big business. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm in sort of about 30% of the way there to launch. Um, and I'm working on that at the moment. And I'm so excited because I can draw on all of what I've done over the last 35 years. And I've, because I've written this book over my shoulder, wherever it is here, um, making channel sales work, I've really developed a a massive passion for working with partners. And I've created this collection of amazing people and uh, looking at the way that we can collaborate uh, to help our clients collectively massively punch above their weight um, and create, because I, I think the sales arena is due for uh, a massive uh, regeneration. You know, it's going to be a bloodbath first of all, um, and then uh, a, um, you know, rising from the ashes. And I think that will be through partnerships. And so I'm really, really excited about what the world holds. And you know, COVID, um, COVID was uh, is you know like the uh, the plague, the Black Death. Um, that catalyzed the Renaissance. And I think we're on the cusp of another renaissance. I think a lot of it will be driven by technology, which is why I'm excited about that. Um, but the way we live, the way we work, I think there's a huge amount of social upheaval that's still to come. Um, and it's going to be some tough times. You know, the renaissance was not a bloodless uh, uh, era. Um, but I think we're due for another um, bout of... Um, human innovation, the like of which we have not seen for a very long time. And, and, and uh, seeing the way society will evolve as a result of that, um, that's going to be really interesting. So do you have a name for the new age we're moving into from the information age? No. Do you? <laughs> I, no, but I, I do feel that we are progressing to that next place. I, I do. I think, I think it has to do a lot with going back to us as humans being in touch with nature being more connected i think it might be the connection age something like that i think so and i, I think what's really interesting as well 
is that we have to be con so contextually relevant. Um, and uh, th that's going to be really interesting, seeing how um, uh, technologies like Zoom and 8x8 and Teams um, working together uh, with other different types of software um, in order to create these new tools and new ways of working. Um, you know, I, I, the, what I'm really excited by is the fact that COVID's um, taken 10 years off the virtualization cycle. You know, but people can work from home now, and we, we know that it works well. Not everyone, and some people are still hoping that we go back. Um, but I don't believe that's going to be the case. I, I think what's going to happen um, is that any employers that try and uh, go back to that will attract a certain type of people, but many of their staff will leave. Um, and, you know, I, I like working from home. It's been glorious being able to actually see my family for a change. Well, it is that extra dynamic, actually. You you reference that people have been working very well from home, but what what they've also been doing is they've been homeschooling. So with that dynamic removed, they would actually be even more efficient because they wouldn't have to worry about having the family at home, but they still have the benefits of being working at home. Yeah, well, I mean, we're really fortunate because our kids are teens, um, so they were largely getting on with it. Um, but people who had to homeschool toddlers, my next-door neighbour, um, but yeah, they, they've got a two-year-old and it's been a joy listening to him giggle and scream and shout and say, no, mummy, no, daddy, all day. Um, but my God, the pressure that they must have been under because they were both holding down full-time jobs from home. Mm. Um, and little Thomas, sweet as he is, uh, is a major distraction. And if, if you had kids uh, sort of at five to 15, um, that must have been tough. Wow. Can't even begin to imagine how hard that was. I'm very pleased to have been born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Um, I've, I've never really experienced any serious hardship, um, and long may that continue. Yeah, and well, I'm with you. I've got a 15 year old and a 17 year old, so uh, we've um, we've definitely worked out our way of independently working within the home. But yeah, it, well, it's been such a great opportunity to hear more about why you do what you do how would people get in touch with you marcus they can get in touch with me through linkedin um, i'm all over it like a rash um, so if you type in marcus with a c and c-a-u-c-h-i uh, there are two of us i'm not the recruiter in essex um, i'm very disappointed and um, you know, pleased that there, there's more than one but um, i was quite happy being unique and I'm on Maximize Channel Sales is my um, uh, personal URL on there. Uh, otherwise, you can email me, um, marcuscowkey at me.com or mkowkey at sander.com um, and the underscore inquisitor on Twitter. And I have a couple of podcasts, which if anyone's interested in, um, just drop me a line. I will I'll put all of those links into the show notes so that people can get hold of you. Tell me, Marcus, one final message for the audience. Um, slow down. If you want to speed up, slow down. The, the mistake people make, I think, in this era is that we rush and we're always moving on to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. I've interviewed a number of people who are amazing at what they do. And a common theme is that they spend time on planning and reflection. Um, slow down and take 45 minutes a day uh, with you, 
a blank pad and a pen and one question and write answers to that question. Um, take time for planning. Uh, take time to appreciate what you've got, the people around you, who you've got. And just take it easier on yourself. Stop judging yourself. That you know that that prejudgment, that prejudice that you have towards yourself, um, that's lethal. Um, and you're not always right. That's a, a lesson that's taken me a while to learn. Um, I, I think it's dangerous to live in a bubble. Um, so if you are on social media, make sure you take in the opinions of others whose opinions you disagree with and even despise. Um, so that you actually you don't live in this echo chamber. Um, reflect and keep asking yourself the question, why do I believe that? If that wasn't true, what might be? If I did the opposite, what would happen? If I stopped doing that, what would happen? And just take your time. Um, time, time is the most precious commodity. You're never going to get it back. So don't just exist slow down and appreciate what you've got. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.